Hello and welcome to Wolfie's Talks. Direct from the Middle East, bringing you unique insight from the Pro Peloton and the best cycling brands around the world. Behind the scenes, personal stories, tips and inspiration. These interviews with the stars will take you from the tracks to the mountains and leave you dreaming about riding even more. Tune in to Wolfie's Talks, keeping up with the pros. How are you doing? Very good. Hello. Hi. How are you doing? Good, thanks. Just in Tenerife. So, first day training today. Very good. You know what? I have, I've looked this up and I've been in Tenerife 32 years ago. My brother lived in Tenerife and I took my mountain bike uh, to huh. the trip and I was cycling up Tede. And I think I cried going up the mountain because it was, I was just alone. It was so, so steep and so long. And I, I never, never really, I, I'm from the Black Forest in Germany. So, uh, yeah. it was the longest climb I ever did. So, I, I can feel a little bit with you. When you're there but it's beautiful it's beautiful there yeah it is yeah it's nice and quiet up here as well at the top like um yeah generally above the clouds as well so always sunny so can't complain very good very good uh thank you so much for taking the time to to speak to us um i just want to give a quick introduction for for the ghost those guys who are joining us now uh you just come back from the tour romandy you won the race really really amazing uh, event Olympic gold medals in Tomb Pursuit in Beijing and in London. You're passionate for coffee and you have your own beer where we'll speak later about it. It's called G. Mm -hmm. uh, you won the Tour de France in 2018. <coughs> you're, from, you're from Cardiff in Wales and you say warm rain feels like a spa treatment, which I thought was really nice. We haven't had rain in Dubai for two years. Uh, you like Germany. I think you won the Bayern Rundfahrt in 2011 and 2014. Uh, you won gold medals, World Championship, Commonwealth Games, National Championships, uh, what I really like, you have two cycling podcasts and you wrote three books about cycling and you want to share, I think, the passion for cycling. Um, you love the classics, uh, won the Junior Paris-Roubaix in 2004 and E3 Hallebeck. Um, I heard from, from one of your teammates, from Rohan Dennis, that you like the movie Gladiator and you get quite emotional about the Gladiator. Yeah, I always get teary-eyed at the end of that, yeah. Yeah, what is it? Is it is it the, the end? Is it the beginning? You know, when I, I I thought about the movie and the first thing came to mind was this on my command, unleash hell, when he's when he's fighting. Is this is what you say to your team when you when when they have to go hard on a on a climb? <laughs> uh, kind of, yeah, not quite life life and death as it is in Gladiator, but um, yeah, no, it's the ending that always gets me. You know, you get invested in the character, don't you? And uh, yeah, it's a bit of a it's a sad but kind of a happy ending as well in a way but um yeah that always gets me oh fantastic i love that scene when you go on a breakaway with peter sagan uh, and chris Froome, and and kind of that situation with the crosswind and, and that's really something where i really feel it is is amazing how much racing really means and how you can really get this across you remember that situation did you speak to him did he shout at you did you just see the situation uh, when that break happened and and then you you really made some time and and, and doing that tour yeah, it was um, <clears throat> it was the last few k of the stage. Really, it was windy all day, and it was really stressful, intense peloton all day. And it was kind of getting to the last few k, and you didn't really think anything was going to happen. And then just kind of saw it going, and and yeah, just me and Froomey went with it. And next thing you know, it was only four of us there. And uh, so yeah, that was that was a crazy little um, scenario. But I just remember how strong Sargon was that day. It was like riding with a motorbike, and. Uh, but yeah, it was um, a great day for the team, really, because Froomey obviously gained more time on GC and things. And uh, yeah, but it, it goes to show, you know, a lot can happen, like especially, well, in any bike race, really. But 
you know, the tour sometimes can be seen as quite calculated and things, but yes. days like that show that, um, yeah, anything can can happen really at the drop of a drop of a hat. Yeah, fantastic. Um, I want to take you a bit back on the on the beginning of your. We saw the pictures of your beginning of the career. Um, what was the first moment when somebody introduced and who introduced cycling to you? Uh, it just happened by chance, basically. I was going swimming at the local ledge center, and they happened to have an outdoor velodrome uh, in the same place. And there was an advert for a kids' club that was starting up, and saw that there was like no no brakes and just one gear and kind of was intrigued by that and just wanted to go along and have a go really. And that's, that's how I started and uh, enjoyed it, made some good mates and it just all snowballed from there really. So purely by chance, um, <clears throat> it was nothing to do with, it wasn't a cyclist in my family or anything like that. Uh, it was just, my dad just liked me getting involved in any sort of sport really. And it just kind of went from there. And your father is sporty or your brother? Or how did you feel you developed that, that feeling of, of getting better and better and, and the motivation to train and stuff? Where does this come from? Yeah, my dad is, was massively into sport. You know, he did quite a bit of athletics and rugby when he was younger. Um, and just in Wales in general, sport is, is pretty big, especially rugby. Um, so, yeah, it's just from there, really. And my, me and my brother did a bit of everything, really. And, uh, you know, he did cycling for a bit, but he he stopped he didn't really enjoy it as much and uh but he still does a lot of running actually just um you know around his job and things but um you know i think he's he's like a sub two hour 30 minute marathon so oh. it's not bad for you know someone that has a job and stuff as well really but uh yeah it's just something we've always been into um you know playing football rugby down the park as kids you know riding over on our bikes and just having fun with it all really and then uh, suddenly you know you're winning national titles and things and you're representing Great Britain in junior level and yeah it just it's mad how it sort of goes from there. Very good your first bike was called Wolf? Yeah 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 it was a Wolf bike it was a black bike and it just played all these different types of like sounds and music and stuff and uh, yeah I love that bike. Very good. And I, I read one story when your grandma, you were uh, leading out Mark Cavendish and your grandma was kind of upset because you let him win. And she said, why did you not go? And you continued a little bit further and you could have you could have won the race. Yeah, that's kind of like the attitude of uh, a lot of people in the UK when because obviously they don't understand how cycling works, really. They see it as a, a, an individual sport, but obviously it's a massive team sport as well. And um, yeah, obviously when Cav was in the team, when I was racing with him, you know, be leading him out and things. And she was like, well, why, why did you just stop the 200 meters to go? You were, you were winning. Like if you just kept going, you would have won. But yeah, just that naivety to the sport really. But uh, slowly, slowly educated her. Very good. This was interesting. When I came 19 years ago, I came to Dubai and, and obviously the sport was new here. And we did a lot of kind of education, watching the tour with people. And they didn't understand, maybe like me watching cricket. I don't really understand the sport and kind of educating them. And, and uh, that was that was always interesting because they didn't understand who, how somebody can win the yellow jersey uh, without winning a stage and why would they let them go and this and this. So it was really, really interesting. Um, yeah, it can be confusing as well. You know, there's so much yes. that's going on. You know, so many different um, competitions, especially in like stage races and the tour and stuff. So, yeah, it's, it's chess on wheels, isn't it, at times? 
Yes. Yes. Going back to the to your beginnings, when you were racing as a little boy, any particular rider you had in mind when you were racing with your friends, and was there somebody playing? You had some hero uh, you were going after. Oh, I used to love Jan Ulrich. Um, okay, very good. Yeah. So he, uh, I'm sure he's from. Yeah, he's close to my place. Yeah, actually, yeah, he's yeah, yeah. a very long time, uh, maybe like 15 kilometers from my hometown in the Black Forest. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, he won the tour when I was first sort of like really following cycling and, and falling in love with it. So, you know, since then, I was like, oh, yeah, you know, that guy's good. And then he was, you know, he's obviously continually second. And yes. in Britain, we love the underdog. So I think... The more times he got second, the more I liked him, really, um, you know, and supported him even more. Um, yeah, because that's what, yeah, we love the underdog in the UK anyway. And um, But then I think a bit closer to home, Brad, Bradley Wiggins was always someone I looked up to because he was doing what I wanted to do. Like he was four, no, six years older than me. Yes. So he was constantly, you know, he was won junior worlds, went on to the Olympics. You know, turning professional on the road. You know, there that this was everything I wanted to do, and he was doing it like six years before me. So I was always looking up to him and and Nicole Cook as well. She was uh she lived just down the road near me, and she was winning junior worlds, and that made it a bit more real seeing someone that lived just down the road winning rather than you know someone from Germany or or yes. Spain or Italy. You know, doing really well on a bike. It was actually someone that lived, you know. 16 20k away from me so it seemed a lot more achievable then very good i think british cycling has done tremendously with with building juniors and and starting this all starting obviously with with people like you seeing them supporting them fostering them and so on and then really the success was just an unbelievable success we're trying similar things now in abu dhabi in dubai with with cycling clubs and so on because it's it's, it's still a sport which is growing in our region as well and Uh, but I think you have done just just an amazing thing and winning, obviously, on the track, winning Olympic gold in, in the team pursuit and then winning the Tour de France. That transition is just unbelievable. And, and yeah, I've, there's no other rider I remember who has done this, maybe besides Bradley Wiggins. Uh, yeah, it was a massive surprise. Like when he was fourth in the tour, I think it was in 2009, um, like to see him do so well. And then, you know, it's like, boy, he, he can actually podium. And then, obviously won it in 2012 which was unbelievable and but even then i was like well there's no way i could do that you know maybe i can win like week-long races uh maybe like paris something like that but i was like oh, the tour is just another level and but as you develop and you each year you improve and improve and you know for me i was definitely a slow burner not like the kids these days who yeah. you know seem to be professional when they're sort of like 15 16 and you know winning massive races at 20 years old. 20, 21 years of age. So, but for me, yeah, it was every year slowly improving and, you know, one day races and then stage races like week long. And then, yeah, went on to target the grand tours and yeah, was fortunate enough to win the tour, which is, is still kind of crazy, really. If, if I told myself, you know, 14, 15 year old that I'd win the tour one day would just be like probably explode with excitement. What can you tell the younger riders you mentioned? What can they learn from you? And what have you learned from the young guys? Is there anything you have, you've taken from them or that can you take from them? At the moment? Yeah. Uh, Are you teaching them? Because you have 16 years of pro peloton experience and, and they're coming in, they're, you, they're young and, and you have this experience, but maybe at the same time, they bring something to the table where you said, oh my God, I, I wish I would have known um, 15 years ago. 
Yeah, I think the biggest difference from when I was a junior and, and juniors now, or, you know, younger guys turning pro is they're just so much more professional. You know, mm. like when I was a junior, I was going out getting drunk two, three times a week, you know, at home and then, you know, training in the middle of that and going to school and just, it was just completely different lifestyle. And, uh, but I wouldn't change it. I think, you know, I've, I've had a, I like the way my career's sort of gone, you know, from, yeah. you know, concentrating on the track. And then, as I said, you know, one day stage racing and things. But with regards to young kids on the team, it's just, I don't really talk too much or tell them this or that. It's just more just lead by example, really. Um, you know, and I'm just sort of, yeah, go about my business in the best way I can. And then, you know, they just, they can either see that and, and take what they want from that or yes. ignore it, basically. And um, yeah, yeah I'm, not, I'm not one to sort of like, sit them down and tell them what you need to do this, this or this. It's just, uh, yeah, as I say, lead by example. Very good. You like to have a beer and you were, you have your own beer called G. Um, were you involved in the process of uh, developing it? It's a, it's a, it's a light beer. I think it's a yellow color after the jersey. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's for like the summer. Um, it stopped now. Um, cause the company obviously was struggling with COVID and they're mm -hmm. kind of cutting back on things, but, um yeah it was a light beer for for the summer months and um with the development of it my dad and my father-in-law were mm -hmm. uh heavily involved with that they enjoyed going down every couple of weeks and sampling more and more beer um but then i sort of had the finished product and said uh you know gave feedback on that but yeah i really liked it actually and um they brought they brought a load to the end of the tour in 2019 um, I obviously had podium duties and stuff in Paris, and by the time I got to the bus, it, all, it had all gone. So it must have been, it must have tasted pretty good. So, um, but fortunately, I was able to get a, a few crates more delivered to my house. So it was all good. You won once, I think your weight in beer. Is this correct? Yeah, yeah. After E three, Harold Becker actually it yes. was a Quaramount beer um, sponsored the race. And before the start, they were saying that the winner wins their weight in beer. So, yeah, after I won it, I, you know, spoke to the organizers like, oh, cracking. Can I get some more, more weight in beer then? And they were a bit taken aback. So I don't think anyone had really tried to claim it before. But I was like, well, that's the best prize I've ever won. I definitely won that. And uh, <laughs> I was getting married the end of that year as well. So um, it came in pretty handy, really. Everyone was walking around the wedding with like one liter bottles of Quite amount so uh yeah that, that went down really well fantastic you started your career on the tour de france 2007 that was the first year you participated um but tell us a bit about this because that was was a tough year yeah it was super tough i was first year professional um i was still i was still a track rider really you know track was my main focus and the road was a tool to to get me fitter really um Obviously, I still wanted to turn professional and that was still, you know, a massive part of my career. But, you know, Beijing Olympics in 2008 was the my main focus at the time. But, yes. yeah, so I joined Bioworld to start 2007 and then suddenly, well, not suddenly, that the tour was always going to start in London, but I never really gave it much thought. And then obviously coming into the race, I was, I was going well in the team and then obviously being British um, and it started in London, I guess I'd... I'd um, got a bit more publicity for the team as well because it was pro-continental it wasn't a world tour team and so yeah they took me to the the start of the tour and the kind of thinking was you know try and do 
seven or eight days and then you know you can go home and you know whatever but yeah once I was there I just managed to finish and as soon as I finished the stage you know I was just thinking there's no way I can start tomorrow but you have your massage food you get up in the morning and you're like well I'm still in the race so I might as well start and so you start and then you just don't want to give up when you're on the bike and you push all the way to the line and manage to get through another day and then the whole cycle starts again and um well, yeah, I've never suffered as much before or after that. You know, it's the most I've ever suffered on a bike. Um, but it definitely stood me in good stead. You know, I think it brought me on leaps and bounds, but it also pushes the whole boundaries, really, of how much you can suffer. And all I've got to do is think back to then, really. I think, well, I'm not really that tired compared to what I was then. So, uh, okay, it gets better. Yeah. That's interesting. So yeah, I think it, uh, yeah, it definitely did me good. You, I, I read as well, you cycled 120 kilometers behind the peloton, and I think you finished last in, in the 20, uh, 2007 edition? Last but one. Yeah, I was 140 out of 141, so didn't even wow. win the last move. So. But uh, yeah, it was the first big mountain stage. I got dropped maybe 40k into the stage and spent 120k out the back behind chasing the Gruppetto. But uh, it was such a nice feeling on the final climb to come down the final descent and see some of the cars behind the Gruppetto and then gone to the into the Gruppetto a K or two into the last climb and was just like I can't believe I've actually made it back and yeah some of the boys in the Gruppetto were handing me some food and uh, yeah managed to get through it luckily it was a rest day the next day and had a nice long massage and a rest and just sort of slept all day really and then got up and started again two days later and yeah like I say managed to make it to Paris man Oh, what do you think is it in in yourself that you have that strength to keep on going? And how did you develop this? Is this from your parents? Is who who started this? Or you always had it in you, and you just found it during your life? Or what happened to really develop that strength? Yeah, I don't think it's anything you can kind of train. Almost, it's just some you either have it or you don't. And uh, mm -hmm. I think you can it can develop a bit. Like I think you know, obviously, my parents the way they are and the way they brought me up uh definitely cemented that attitude really and then you know joining the academy with Rod Rod Allenworth as our like sort of coach there and, and looking after us there you know the way he was and the way he like treated us was it wasn't harsh but it was certainly like wasn't easy and um yeah it just pushed you and then it makes you like want it even more and just I think mm -hmm. it's just yeah, like I say, you you either have that fight and that real desire to do something in you, or or you don't. And uh, yeah, I think it's as, as simple as that, really. Mm -hmm. I liked it. You described in the books you wrote about the tour. I, I, I listened to all of them. That you say you chip it away every day, and you you think about the process, not so much on the outcome. And you only after you finish the time trial and you you saw your wife Sarah on the finish line. This is the moment when you really realized you you won it. So is this still something you you make the same when you prepare now for events that you kind of only think about that next uh, next stage and the next moment in the race? Yeah, pretty much. I think it's something I always sort of did, but obviously working with Steve Peters, a sports psychologist, it, mm -hmm. it sort of cemented that as well. And yeah, it's just worrying about myself and, and just getting to the start line in 100% shape as good as I can be. And then, you know, you go from there and yeah, you just take every day as it comes. There's no point in thinking, you obviously need to know what's coming ahead so that affects how you ride that day and things. But once you're in the day and you know the plan, you just stick to that plan. Um, obviously, 
plans change and things and you need to be versatile and adapt but at the end of the day it's just about focusing on what you're doing and not worrying about the next day or, or too far ahead and um, that works for me anyway and I think it's the best way to approach um, bike racing especially grand tours and even like big long climbs you know there's no point getting to the bottom of you know Alpe d'Huez and thinking what I've got 14k at eight percent here um you know when we we're going really hard already and you just break it down into chunks and you don't sort of it's easier to sort of digest and it goes quicker almost because it's just like right you know to the next hairpin or you know the next kilometer or whatever and i think that's a yeah that that works for me and is this something as well you do in your private life that you're very organized or is it is it the opposite because you're so organized in sports and then it, it's it kind of phases off or are you very organized as well when it comes to all of your private things? Oh, it, it definitely rubs off into normal life as well and uh, mm -hmm. yeah I think my wife sort of she's the opposite to me she's pretty like in English we'd say scatty um, like a bit disorganized a bit just sort of like stuff everywhere um, but she's definitely come more towards my organization but then and like planning and just sort of like mindset almost and then but in normal life she's also dragged me towards her messiness a bit as well so we've mm -hmm. kind of met in the middle so it's a happy medium now happy so. medium yeah yeah but uh i still like to sort of yeah i like to plan and, and in my head I, i like to know what's happening and i like to so that's why sort of the last with the whole covid thing was was tough going and yes. that was the hardest bit for me you know when i've been so used to like sort of like a, a plan and working towards that and knowing what I'm doing, et cetera. And so, you know, when that gets thrown up in the air, it's just, you can deal with it and you can adapt and things. But um, yeah, it's, it's I find comfort really in knowing What's happening? Yeah, what I'm doing and why I'm doing it and, and everything. And from COVID, obviously we all have been affected and been locked in and so on. Is there anything you feel really we've learned and you will you will continue doing with, with, with for yourself and for your family? Or what do you take away as a positive note from, from all that? Um, well, one thing I think with humans in general, I think we all probably realized, you know, with that life work balance and things. But then I think once it goes back to normal, people will soon forget and they'll go back to old habits. Like mm -hmm. that's just... I think it, it takes, it's hard. You've got to work on things to change, really. And I think um, it doesn't just change overnight. And then I think for sure, the biggest positive for me, though, was the amount of time I got to spend at home. Because obviously yes. in March last year is when it all sort of really kicked off. And um, Max, our son, was, yeah, he was turning six months then. And suddenly I was home and I was with him. I had the whole off-season with him, obviously. Yes. and the winter and then suddenly when the racing's really supposed to kick off and I'm traveling here there and everywhere and away from home a lot I was just home 24-7 and, and that was great and uh, so I got to spend some real good time with with Sarah, my wife and Max and that was super nice and the weather was actually really nice in Cardiff for a change as well and uh, you know we could have barbecues and just the three of us and just spend that quality time right. so that was just a massive plus but um, yeah we were also fortunate as as professional bike riders that our lives got back to a bit more of normality sooner than others you know we were able to go on training camps and racing sort of started and so we were really fortunate with that and, and we also recognized that as well um so yeah but i think when it comes to learning things from it i think it's just hopefully it just makes people just sort of like appreciate you know what we have and mm -hmm. 
hopefully makes everyone a bit more sort of nicer, mm. you know, supportive of each other and stuff. But yeah, you know, when you see on social media, there's, there's still a lot of idiots around. But mm. I think in general, I think people, you know, hopefully will just look after each other a bit more, you know. Very nice, yes. Your wife, Sarah, you mentioned, she has a, a business. She's doing a wedding venue. Um, and is this the wedding venue where you got married and, and she took over? Yeah, basically, um, it's a bit of a crazy story, really. But we were looking for somewhere to get married. Well, Sarah was, really. I wasn't doing much of the looking. but And uh, she couldn't find anywhere she, that really wanted. And everything was kind of like, oh, you got to have this package or this that you know what i mean like everything you gotta have these caterers or this 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 um band or whatever anyway um so so i was like oh well why don't we just buy a house get married there and then convert it into a wedding venue afterwards and i was a bit like that's a bit outrageous really but yeah maybe and then found this house and i was just like wow that's really nice i can see that working actually so i thought thought sod it you know we, we'll gamble a bit and have a go and see if it works and uh so we bought the house we got married there had a great wedding and um yeah and then we converted it into um a wedding venue and um uh, well started um with the help of her parents and uh yeah and it, it was a huge success really and it, you know i think well last year we were due to have 150 weddings there but obviously with covid i oh, think it ended up being yeah. 15 maybe but uh yeah now things are slowly starting to get back to a bit more normal normality again and there's a lot more weddings happening now and yeah so fair play to her like obviously we had a baby as well and yes. so she's um yeah done really well with that really and that's sort of uh that's what will keep me going once i retire i think very good yeah i just wanted to ask what's your job when it gets very busy are you the man on the bar or Uh, cooking or what's what's your favorite thing to do when it gets busy i definitely won't be cooking uh i said i'd have the easy job and just do the i can marry people at the start and then you i get can a enjoy up. the party yeah well i'm not really a vicar but more the the registrar so you know when people don't get married in a church and they just want to do the official good. thing i can do that that's only 10 minutes working and then enjoy the party with everyone else then very cool very cool Take us back, please, to the Olympics. You said 2008 and, and Beijing 2008 and then London 2012. Um, how I think Olympic Games is just the best thing ever. Yeah? I think everyone comes together. Everyone celebrates the sport. You have so many different people from different sports. And then obviously winning gold medals in these two events is just unbelievable. Um, was London a little bit better because you had already won gold medal and it was obviously a home event? Or can you can you tell us how did you go through this whole uh, success story? Yeah, they're both really special. Obviously, Beijing was the first. Um, but I think I appreciated London more, I think, because I was a bit older. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, it was London. Like, it was just insane. You know, home Olympics. The support was unbelievable. But I think with the team pursuit, it was kind of in the media and the public, they kind of saw it as a guaranteed medal. Mm -hmm. And uh, and as we all know, in sport, nothing's nothing's guaranteed. So that was the pressure was a lot higher and different. You know, in, in, in Beijing, people knew cycling was was good, but not didn't know it could be as successful as it was. And uh, yeah. so it was kind of a surprise, really. And we had no real pressure from outsiders, just the pressure we put on ourselves. And then. But London was just completely opposite. And um, 
yeah, it's a strange feeling when everyone's sort of giving you the medal before you even turned up to the Olympics. So mm-hmm. it was uh, it was pressure, but at the same time, I was still able to take in everything around it. Uh, whereas Beijing, I was a bit more blinkered and tunnel vision towards just that race. And I didn't want to get distracted by anything. Whereas in London, I just took it in a bit more. And um, yeah, both were just incredible really when you put so much hard work into something you know building up to it for four years and to actually nail it and, and get what you want out of it was um was a great feeling well yeah no i think it's just amazing and i think it looks so harmonious when you have four guys really operating at, at that level and moving up in the banks and i've never really been on the track so i, I really admire this so it's really fantastic yeah really outstanding yeah now you did it at three times 12 hour ride for to support the NHS now during the COVID as well for, for uh, on Swift. Um, mm. That's as well an unbelievable uh, event. Yeah. Three times 12 oh. hours. Yeah. I think, um, you know, just riding for 12 hours, if it's out on the road, you know, it's hard enough, but I think doing it on Swift on, on the turbo, um, you know, if you had to just sit in that chair now for 12 hours, it's, it's hard work. It's pretty hard going. Like just sat there and, uh, yeah, like pedaling away. And obviously I was on Zwift, so, you know, I was able to interact with people and obviously there was quite a lot of interviews and, and this and that going on. So that kept me sort of busy, but it was still just hour and upon hour of just pedaling away in my garage. And uh, that was tough. Like the first day was kind of okay because it was all new. Like I say, there was loads of interviews to do on Zoom and stuff. And um, that kind of passed the time quite well and I was sort of buzzing off it. But then, The second day was by far the hardest. Um, well, no, the third day was, but the second day was just kind of just getting through it. At least the last day, there was a bit of light at the end of the tunnel. But the last three hours of that third ride of, you know, three consecutive 12-hour days, it was just, wow, the, I could hardly sit on the, the saddle. And, um, wow, yeah, it was... It wasn't the most enjoyable, but you know, to see that the the money continually I mean, coming in, and you know, I think it was like three hundred sixty thousand by the end pound. Right so um, yeah, which was an incredible amount of money. So you know, it, it kind of made it worthwhile, and that's what kept me going. And the fact that I had a live webcam feed, so there was no way I could just stop because you know, if anyone was watching, they'd see me stop. So yeah, it was um, certainly tough going, but you know, to raise so much money for for the NHS, the National Health Service was, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was, it was felt pretty good doing it, but the shower afterwards was the best. Just sat there sweating for 12 hours to just get out of my kit and just stand in the shower was, oh, nicest feeling in the world. Very good. You, you said you were listening to podcasts. What are the podcasts? Obviously you do your own two podcasts and, and what is a podcast you listen to? Uh, I listen to a lot of other sport podcasts, really. I don't really listen to cycling. Um, okay. I don't, I prefer to just stay away from that because you can tend to get a bit wound up sometimes with what these, you know, experts yes, yes. say. Yes. Um, yeah, I listen to a lot of rugby or football. Um, uh, yeah, just general. A lot of sort of like true crime stuff as well. Okay. Um, Although I'm starting to stop listening to them a bit now because they're quite depressing, you know, listening to yeah. how some guy murdered a load of people or this or that. Or, you know, after a while, you're a bit like, it's a bit, bit intense this now. Just listen to some rugby chat instead. But um, 
I listened to one good one actually on BBC. It was about um, guys building a tunnel under um, Berlin Wall. Yes. Um, I can't remember what it's called now. Tunnel Thirty Nine or ah, Tunnel. A good movie as well about this when they went unbelievable. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that was like just podcasts like that are, are really sort of interesting and um, just incredible, really. How it wasn't even that long ago. Um, so yeah, yes. things like that I find find interesting. Anything on space as well. I love a bit of space. Um, so yeah, very cool. You have your own, or you have two podcasts, and recently you started the Garen Thomas Cycling Club. Mm. And I think as well, it's very good information. And I listen, I think now to all the 16 or 17 episodes you, you, you made um, to, I think it's nice to educate people as well, because that's, that's a lot of what we are doing. And I thought it was really good. And I think uh, there's an option where I can apply for a, for a job. I can apply for a place in the committee. So I was really yeah. thinking about it. I don't know, maybe later you can tell me if you have a tip, but I thought maybe a, a marginal gainer because I have 34 years of experience. So, but if you come up with anything, I'm a chef uh -huh. as well, my first career. Uh, so maybe oh, I can okay. apply. Yeah, it's, it's, it's good to do. I wasn't too sure to start with. So I was thinking, oh, what would we actually talk about? But it's nice to just get a bit of a community feel as well. So, yes. yeah, we say just to join the club, Garen Thomas Cycling Club, all you've got to do is listen to the podcast and you're a member immediately. And we have a club ride every Wednesday on Zwift as well. Um, I think it's like 6 p.m. UK time. And it just gets like everyone together, really. And um, yeah. You know, and then on social media as well, there's a lot of chat and things and just get people involved. And now we have a jersey and there's an online jersey on Zwift as well. And um, So, yeah, especially during like lockdown in the last few months mm -hmm. as well. I think it's been good for people to be part of a bit of a community and stuff as well. And, you know, all get together and ride, e even though it's on, on Zwift and not in the real world, it's still got a nice feel to it. So, um, yeah happy with with how that's going and it's quite general as well you know it, there's some detailed parts and stuff for like the real cycling fan but then there's also stuff for you know newcomers to the sport as well so it's quite varied and quite broad and um a good good range of guests as well you know some amateurs like some you know big fans of the sport and then some guys like sir chris hoy who you know and uh who's won six Olympic golds and, you know, Rowan Dennis, like world time 12 champions and, you know, Chris Froome soon as well, who obviously one of the most successful Grand Tour riders yes. ever. So yeah, it's a, it's enjoyable to do. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think you're doing a really a good job. And I think it's really nice because we have a lot of new people coming to the sport and for them, it's sometimes very difficult to understand how to, how to approach a climb or what, what is the, the velodrome and all these things. And I think it's really, really interesting how you do it. And I think the other one, obviously with Luke Rowe, uh, what's occurring, mm -hmm. uh, I think this is good as well. I think if, especially if you're a bit more into cycling, I think the information is really nice. I, I really like the jingle. Um, that, that kind of um, uh, church kind of sound or like that, that kind of bit of an older... Yeah, older Welsh. Sound. Yeah, Welsh. Welsh. Okay, that's from... Male from voice Welsh. choir, yeah. Ah, very good. I really like it. Yeah. Yes. It's really, really cool. Yeah, no, I think it's great. And I, I feel really it's nice that you take the time because it's, it's, it's a lot of time going into this. Like we, um, I prepare for the talks quite some time, which is enjoyable, but still it takes time. And we started this show as well during the lockdown because we felt... We wanted to give some positivity and, and inform people about the other people, how they get through this and so on. But now we feel as well, we want to keep it going and we want to invite more people and get uh, get the message out that cycling is really a, just an, an unbelievable, unbelievable spot. So well done. It's a really good yeah. show. So uh, I will put the link in the in our show notes. Thanks. Really cool. 
Um, looking at your bike and your setup, do you have any special things you have on your bike and things you always pass on? Like I know you use, uh, and thanks to the friends of Physico Arrange to Talk, you're using still the same shoes like in 2018 when you won the tour. Is it still the same product? Yeah, it is. Yeah, I get quite um, sentimental really. I don't want to change stuff after a successful ride. So um, I'm still on the same shoes. Um, so my wife gave me a little wishbone. Um, you know, like you get in chickens, you get yes. like, or in, in, in the UK anyway, we call it wishbone. So basically, yeah, I have a little one of them on my Garmin and also a little baseball cap, which, because uh, Max, our son, loves wearing a baseball cap when I'm wearing mine so yeah that's just something um they have on there and then um other than that though it's pretty pretty standard um same saddle actually yes um what are you using saddle the Arione oh really yes. yes. uh, so I well, I've been using that since 2004 maybe I had one year off it when the team well, Team Sky, we were on a different saddle for maybe a year, but then mm -hmm. luckily we went back to physique. And um, yeah, I've basically been on that saddle since 2004. So a long old time now. Yes, it's a good saddle because it obviously allows you to to have a good range of motion as well. Then you can move forward and slide backwards uh, in, in case you, you need. Yeah, generally I'm on the end of it most of the time anyway. But uh, yeah, like, I, I, I don't know why, but it's just one of those, those saddles. Like once you like it. It. it's it just works yeah anything as well you're, you're special about your setup anything you're very particular about or or you're you are you are you sensitive on saddle height like is a millimeter up and down or you're rather somebody who's a little bit easy on that i can feel it like if there's something slightly out i can feel it but at the same time i'm like ah oh, it'll be fine i'll get used to it so um i'm aware of it but then at the same time i'm not too bothered just like i'll be fine just crack on mm -hmm. and uh, I'm not too there's a lot of divas around and a lot of guys that are fussy with things like that but no nah, I just I'll be fine I'm pretty robust compared to some of them you know a couple of mil and somebody's suddenly their backs out and they're seeing the physio mm -hmm. you know 10 times a day but um, no nah, I'm pretty chill what do you feel is the biggest invention we have seen in, in the past couple of years? I'm thinking things like tire change that we went from, from I'm, I'm sure 18, 20 millimeter tires now to 28 millimeter tires and tire pressure. Anything you remember where you thought, okay, how, how could we not see this, that this is such an improvement riding on wider tires and so on? Is there something that comes to mind? I think uh, electric gears is a massive one. Okay, good. Um, you know, to think going back to sort of cables now just seems ancient, mm -hmm. even though, okay, electric's probably been, it hasn't been too long, 10 years maybe, a bit more. Um, so, yeah, I think, uh, and just like, it's just crazy how when you see a bike, even from five years ago now, immediately it looks really old. Mm -hmm. And I think the technology just moves on so much and so quickly. Um, and you get used to the new things so quickly that, yeah, if you look back just five, six years, suddenly it can just seem like, wow, how was that like top of the range back then, yeah. you know? And um, so that's quite interesting. Like when I saw Brad's tour winning bike, um, this was even a couple of years ago and I just saw, I was in doing some events and I saw it on the stand and I was just like, blimey, that just looks so old. Mm. Even though it was only, 
maybe six or seven years since he'd actually won it. So um, yeah, that's the big. That's the the biggest like difference you see really. Have you changed the tires? What are you using usually? Twenty eight millimeters now. Twenty five, twenty eight. Yeah, generally 25s. It depends on the wheels you got because I think, yes. you know, with um, lightweights, they're obviously narrower. So yes. you tend to be on like small 23s. But then, yeah, I think uh, obviously with Roubaix, you know, guys racing on carbon wheels now, whereas, you know, 10 years ago, was, you had to be on like, you know, big steel things. Um, but yeah, 28, 27, 28, maybe even 30 some guys in, in Roubaix. Um, so yeah, it's just I think like the rolling resistance and the testing and uh, on tires and stuff that you know yes. shows it's not a massive difference. So I think you know wheels are obviously getting more aero and better. So obviously disc brakes now as well is a big thing. So um, it's just moving forward all the time, which is good. I think you know innovation and you know moving technology forward is is great really, and um, you know. I'm, I'm not a tech nerd or anything, but I do appreciate some new new kit and whatever. But um, yeah, a bit like with my saddle height, really. Like I kind of, I can appreciate it, but I'm not, you know, I'm not sat down reading about new, you know, brake calipers or whatever. Cameron Worth said your useless is changing tires. Is this, is this true? Yeah, well, my tactic there is if I take ages to do it the first time, he'll just offer to do it, and then he'll always do it for me. So oh, very, very smart, very good. And he yeah. said, um, I spoke to him, and he said, uh, you will do some triathlons after you retire. Yeah, that's the plan. So um, basically, you know, I, I would. Well, it depends when I stop, but it would be over fifteen years pro and. Before that, even, you know, as a junior and 23, always dreaming of winning races and doing well in races. So I've always got goals. So I think once I stop, if I don't have a goal, you know, without sounding dramatic, but, you know, I think it's easy to sort of be a bit down and depressed and just not, mm -hmm. you need a purpose. To, you, need, you need a reason to sort of get out of bed in the morning, you know? And yeah. I think when I'm so used to having big, big goals to work towards, I think I'll need something initially to, you know, well, get me out of bed in the morning. And I think, you know, going and competing in a few Ironman races, even though I won't be doing it to to win and perform, you know, at the best level, but, you know, it's still a good target to have. And I think that will help just sort of uh, keep me, keep the weight off as well, because uh, I think I've definitely got potential to put a bit of weight on when I start. But Cameron was very uh, sure that you will do very, very well. So that, that he can see a lot of talent um, for, for your Ironman career. Yeah, I'll smash Cam. That's okay. the main thing to be him. But uh, yeah, I think, you know, as soon as I start training for it as well, you, you'll end up chasing times and numbers. Yes. And that competitiveness will definitely come out. So I say now I'm not going to take you that seriously. But yeah, I'll probably be training just as hard as ever, probably. But uh, yeah, something I'm really looking forward to doing anyway, once I've stopped sort of professional racing. Very cool. My wife on my way home, uh, we talked about our talk and, and my wife is called Gabby and, said, and I said, oh, his, his uh, nickname is G and it's, oh, that's really, really cool. And who gave you the nickname G? It was Cav, actually, uh, okay. when we were part of the Under 23 Academy because a lot of people struggled to say my name, Geraint. So yeah, Cav just started calling me G, especially because one of my mates in Cardiff as well, I called him D. So um yeah, he, he heard me. He 
calling this my mate D. So he just started calling me G and that was it. And then it just kind of stuck then and it was easier for everyone, you know. They didn't have to struggle to pronounce my name. They just called me G. So, uh, yeah, a lot simpler. My wife, Gabby, really likes it. She said, she sounds sexy, she said. Yeah, with a G. Because <laughs> W, W doesn't really do it. Yeah, so my name is Wolfie, obviously, and then W doesn't really, doesn't really do the trick. Not as catchy, no. <laughs> Not as catchy as G. Very cool. Um, I have a few sentences, and I would just like a, sh a short answer for me, if you don't mind. Um, what's the best part of being a pro? I think uh, the traveling, the places you get to go to, although sometimes you don't, you know, when you're racing, you don't really take it all in. But I think, you know, I've been able to, I've gone to Moscow and, and, and Australia and Canada and America, you know, Rio for the Olympics, you know, all over the world, South Africa. So, yeah, incredible, really, the places you get to go. What's your dream car? Well, I guess it was a Porsche Turbo. I was lucky enough to get one a few years ago. Something happened with Michael Walgren's car. I should ask you from Rohan. You should tell us the story. Ah. Um, <laughs> I, oh, I might not tell you the whole story, but uh, <laughs> I, I scraped it a little bit. Okay. On the first corner driving out the car park. Yeah. What not car ideal, was it? But it's all sorted now. An X5 is a massive thing. And uh, this car park is super tight. And uh, I was looking in the in the wing mirror and I was like, oh yeah, I'm fine. I've got space there, but I kind of forgot that the wheel arches stick out a little bit more and scrape them, but that's all sorted now. So that's all good. Very good. He's, he's still speaking to me, so. That's good. So it's fixed. The greatest athlete of all times, doesn't have to be cycling, anyone. Anyone you feel like is something who inspired you? I was a massive fan of Thierry Henry. Um, obviously, I watched the Michael Jordan documentary last year. That was a big mm -hmm. one, wasn't it? And he's he's a bit of a legend. Um, I'll go on, Ree, though. Very good. I want to learn how to. Is there anything you want to learn in life? Anything you have on your bucket list? Um, I wish I was better at languages. Um, how many languages terrible. do you speak? None, really. Well, English. Okay. But... Even even Welsh, my dad speaks. Welsh is one of those languages. Even if you're born in Cardiff or big city, you don't necessarily learn it unless you go to a Welsh-speaking school. And mm -hmm. I didn't. And um, you know, I can I understand bits and bobs here and there, but I definitely wouldn't be able to have a proper conversation in it. So I wish he had spoken to me as a kid, really, and there's something easy mm -hmm. I could have picked up. But yeah, and then I, obviously French and Italian, um, more Italian, really. But yeah, it's something. I really keep thinking, oh, I need to just knuckle down and do this. But after training and stuff, you're always pretty tired, aren't you? So it's hard to do. But yeah, I'd say languages is something I'd love to improve on. But in the peloton, they speak mostly French or Italian, or is the main language uh, English? Mainly English now. And that's okay. the problem, I think, because, um, you know, even where I live down in Monaco, like you try and speak French and then they just speak English back to you because they can tell you obviously not French and you're probably saying something completely wrong. So it's tough then because everyone can just speak English to you and it's easier to do then. So, but yeah. I wish I had, if you wish for something you want to have. Oh. Um, I don't know, really. Maybe a couple more hours in the day just to chill out. Very good. And you want to be remembered 
as as what what do you think if people look back Garen Thomas in a few years what is something you feel like is, is something they, sh they should remember of um oh, I don't know really just uh just a genuine guy really yes. nice guy just uh yeah decent bike rider but um you know I don't want to really be defined by races that you know you've won or you haven't won really I'm not too hung up on that really just be a nice guy is there one race you you want to win is there something on your wish list uh nothing that stands out that you know i'd love to win another tour or a giro or you know pyro bay another olympic gold medal not too fussy really yes or all of them i'd have all of them yes very good um yeah at the moment obviously the tour is my main focus at the moment so um, but then as soon as that's done, hopefully be selected to the Olympics and that'll be another big goal. So they're the two main goals this season. What's the rest for the season look like for you? You do which races are coming up until the tour? So I got Dauphiné and then Tour okay. Olympics. And then after that, um, depends on how races, those races have gone. You kind of go from there really. But um, yeah, after the Olympics is a bit, we'll see once we get there. Mm -hmm. Very good. Is there a person you would like to spend a day? Um, it could be dead or alive. Anyone you would wish to spend a day to to learn more about him? Oh, Eminem. Eminem. Yeah, it's probably you know maybe I should say someone like I don't know Winston Churchill or no no but cool Obama, yeah yeah cool but, guy. But yeah no Eminem's like someone I grew up like listening to and I, I I've just been a massive fan since I was a kid so yeah it'd be pretty cool to spend a day a day with him. Very good. Then, then it's my last question is really karaoke bar. If you go to karaoke bar, which song are you going to pick to sing? Usually I only do karaoke when I'm completely drunk and I can't even remember anyway. So uh, when I'm not drunk, uh, it would be anything. But yeah, terrible singer me. Very good. Very good. Um, there, Garen, I want to thank you for your time. Um, taking the Pleasure. time out of your training camp. It was really a great pleasure to speak to you. Um, you have been really somebody I've, I've following now for, for so many years and really been inspiring for a lot of people. I think it's really great what you do with your podcast. I think you're an amazing writer to watch. I think you had an amazing career. It's really fantastic. And I, I really wish you all the best. And I hope you have been, have you been in Dubai before? I think in 2015 in Dubai, but after that for holiday? No, but we're actually thinking of going there this year with... Uh my little boy and wife okay. end of October so very good yeah. if you need any help any uh, tour guide or I, I could be maybe then your tour guide for the GC uh, the Darren Thomas Cycling Club tour guide Dubai edition uh, but if I can help you with anything let me know I'm, I'm ha very happy to look after you here uh, when well, you visit us in Dubai um, appreciate it Thanks again. And um, you, you come obviously from the track. We have our next guest is um, a single speed rider called Patrick Seabase. You know him by any chance? He's a Red Bull, Red Bull athlete and he's cycling everything he's doing on a single speed, climbing all the mountains around the world. Um, so he's going to be uh, on next week with us on our show. So, yeah. Good stuff. I'll tune in. Very good. Karen, thank you so much. Yeah, have a great evening. Thanks Cheers. for your time. Thanks a lot. You too. All the best. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you everyone for watching. Good night.